Hi. Uh, <laughs> take it back. To one, please. Back to one. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's the middle of the night. This is Movies IMO. We're your favorite film fags. I'm Ben Empey. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. Today we're going to talk about The Shape of Water and... <laughs> Which is just a little drop, by the way. <laughs> and movies that want to fuck old Hollywood. Uh, specifically New York, New York. That's the only movie we talk about that wants to fuck old Hollywood. In addition to The Shape it's of Water. It's because we didn't have time to watch Allied before yeah. this. Ah, uh, if only. And we all watch Creature from the Black Lagoon. Which does not come no up. One, and no one even brought it up <laughs> by name. Hey, I liked that as a nice little primer going into The Shape of Water. I, I enjoyed too. that. Yeah, I'm glad too. I watched it. I watched them too. back to back. Yeah. I'm I mean, glad. over two days, but back to back. I'm glad we gave ourselves that assignment, yeah. even though we didn't bring it up. Yeah. It I think great that movie's fucking half. great. It was it a great is. movie. Yeah. I love the We're production design. I love, I love the way that the, the uh, water, I love the water, water filmography, cinematography. Photography. Yeah, yeah, cinematography. Yeah. I mean, I'm a real sucker for any movie about toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. and this movie's got it by the bucket. I love the mm-hmm. little swim trunks that the men wear. I like that those guys just rip their shirts off yeah. as quickly as they can <laughs> in every scene possible. That's such a 50s thing. Yeah, and they have a real like 50s a, body. Yeah. Where they have uh-huh. fat, but yeah. they're still a little trim, and they yeah. have pectorals. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But they don't look like they've It's like pecs are the only muscles they knew existed in the 50s. Yeah. 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 Let's go back to that. <laughs> yeah. If you got boobs, you're good. Beautiful. <laughs> What? Um, I don't know. The Shape of Water it's is late. <laughs> the Shape of Water is the new film by director Guillermo del Toro, who directed the Hellboy movies and Pan's Labyrinth and Crimson Peak. Most recently, he has a, he had a TV show on FX. I don't know what that was called. Uh, oh. He was EP of the Strain, right? Yeah, yeah correct. He was involved with that. He also did Pacific Rim. Right. Yeah, usually a nightmare guy, but given us something real sweet here. I haven't seen any of his movies about men. I've seen all of his movies about women. That's not true. I've seen the Hellboy movies, but I've never seen Pacific Rim. About Outsider, though. The what? It's, it's about, about an outsider. outsider. Which one? Hellboy. Oh, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he doesn't want to be bad. The Shape of Water is about a mute woman, Sally Hawkins, who lives above a movie theater in the 50s? Yeah. In a city no. in Baltimore. Yeah. And at the height of the Red Scare. At the height of the Red Scare. And she lives across the hall from her gay friend Richard Jenkins. Hey. And she clean she's a janitor, is that what you would call her? Yeah. She's a she, yeah. well, clean she's a, lady. She's a cleaning. She's a janitor lady. apparently with good enough security clearance yeah. to be in the room when they announce all right. <laughs> The most important discovery of all time will be housed in this specific report. She's got to clean up the blood in there. That's right. So she needs access. Oh. She's just invisible. Okay. Is so my rebuttal Finish the synopsis, and then I just want to say a couple things I really like. They work in a science facility or whatever, and a creature from South America is brought in... Creature from the Black Lagoon. You can think of that movie as a prequel to this yeah. movie in a lot of ways. And she... And the fish man fall in love, and she rescues the fish man out, and she fucks him. <laughs> and they swim. And they swim, and they love. But mostly, they fuck. And it's a big love letter to old movies, and Octavia Spencer is delightful, as always. Richard Jenkins. Have I missed any Kill important him. plot points? No. Yeah, um... Oh. 
Well, no, it's fine. I mean, who cares? We'll talk. <laughs> you don't care about Michael Shannon? No, I do, but we get we talk about him quite enough. We, we talk did. about his butt and how he wants to be how Ben wants to fuck him. <laughs> you know, Ben wants to be fucked by him. Whatever, I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> Quickly, very briefly, we didn't talk so much about. Have I told you guys? Sorry, because <laughs> we're talking about Michael. I swear to God, because that was so perfectly timed. <laughs> we're talking about Michael Shannon, so I don't want. Before we move on, I just want to say to all of our podcast listeners: when I went to the Toronto International Film Festival in 2015, I was going to like the 9 a.m. screening. It was like 7:45 in the morning, and hobbling down like. <laughs> A confetti-strewn street, like, the morning after a party is Michael Shannon in, like, gym shorts, a button-up Hawaiian, like, short-sleeve t-shirt, and, like, flip-flops. And You, I, were, and you his, witnessed that image? Yes. Because that image has circulated the and internet. And he's just, like, hobbling you, down the street Yeah, yeah we've seen pictures from the night. So yeah. This, yeah. this so is the walk of shame. This is the next You saw day. Michael Shannon's walk of shame. And you thought to yourself, I want to bleed for that. <laughs> I did. I don't crack my skull. I don't even think he was hungover. I think that's just his body. He can't sleep. He's just He's old. an insomnia. I don't think he does sleep. Yeah. He is haunted, man. Like, he stays up all night thinking about terrible shit. <laughs> anyway, continue. What oh, we, were going to we say. don't really talk about the editing of the movie, which I think is really funny, actually. Oh, it is very good. I, so I just want to say, I love the cut between Sally handing... The, the paper sack full of fingers to the security guard <laughs> to her pouring cornflakes yeah. out of the bag <laughs> into a, a great bowl. Cut. I love that cut. Good. There's a lot of fun editing in this movie. It's very specifically thought out in its like in its construction. Yeah, it's it, there's an eye towards the editing in the compositions. Um, is there anything else to say? Before we go ahead, jump in. Um, the Gold- dive in rather. The Golden Globe nominations were today, and oh, right. Brandon wanted to say something about that. <laughs> the sooner I can forget this, the better. All right, so we all know the Golden Globes don't matter. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway I mean, no- they do matter, and like, I mean, do they though? Seriously. They're fun to watch. They're yeah. fun. I think people to watch. I think <laughs> oftentimes the nominations themselves are offensive. I think people in the Academy pay attention to it. Sure. Yes. Thank God they did not well, pay attention well, to that, Aaron that Taylor kind of... Johnson's win last year. <laughs> that oh God. That Which, by the way, of... Michael Shannon. Uh, just quickly, because I don't say a lot of nice things about him in this episode. Nocturnal Animals is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I don't Agreed. disagree with that nomination. I think the Oscar nomination that Michael Shannon got for Nocturnal Animals. Oh my God, I forgot about that. that I think it's a great performance in a bad movie. So just saying, I, sometimes I like when uh, he goes hammy. Dramatically. <laughs> With her thick rimmed glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, the only takeaway I think that comes from the Golden Globes, aside from everyone wondering what the leisure seeker is, is... Um, but Brandon, don't you know what the leisure seeker is? I've tweeted about this today, that I know a weird amount about that dumb movie, <laughs> because I'm an old 80-year-old woman who sees... All my foreign films at the Lemley Theater. So I've seen the trailer for the Leisure Sheep. They're not paying us for that plug, by the way. You didn't have to say. Anyway, I've seen the trailer for that movie like four times. Um, no, the only takeaway I think from the from the Golden Globes is their snub of both Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig in the Best Director category. People are taking note. People are already having a response to it or having backlash to it. And I think the Academy voters will take note of that. 
Backlash, I, and I think they both, because of that, Daniel, you predicted this on our I last think episode. Both are in. I think now at this point, I agree that I think they are both in because if they don't get in, I think they both need to get in for there not to be backlash. And I think this is the year that the Academy wants to avoid as much backlash as humanly possible. I it's still... just a shame that they don't nominate them because they are the best. <laughs> like, I know, They I should know. be nominated because they do a great fucking job. And these are two of the most exciting directorial debuts in years and yep. that, are, that rival the work of Masters. Jordan Peele was also shut this out year. of screenplay, which is crazy. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, yeah. Unforgivable. I'm, I'm still more hesitant because I think, like, like, the organization, the academy, like, the, the administrators definitely don't want any sort of backlash for not nominated a woman and a black man but i don't think like the people in the sound mixing branch particularly think about that when they're voting right um so i'm still hesitant but i do think this gives but didn't you say last episode or an episode before that only the directors vote on yes that's that's for the winners right though no they only each branch nominates and then everyone votes on the winner well i just want to say but i still think like i don't know I'm trying to think of, like, a famous old white man director who doesn't work anymore. Are they, like, particularly attuned to what Greta Gerwig is doing? You know? Right. I do think that this gets them more press, which helps. Mm-hmm. But I'm still scared. I mean, that's I'm the biggest... Nervous. Sure, yeah. As am I. And But I think the biggest takeaway I've seen from this morning when the nominations came out was that those were the two biggest snubs. For me personally, another big snub was the big sick getting nothing. Yeah. Tiffany Haddish getting no nomination, which is ludicrous when there is a literal subcategory for com- comedians to shine. Yeah. But The Greatest Showman came out, so that's a thing that happened. Yeah, what's that about? Yeah, I, I fucking hate the idea of The Greatest Showman, and I can't wait to see the number that is about animal cruelty, which I imagine must be in there if they're being truthful about P.T. Barnum's <sighs> legacy. I, wanted, I want the number yeah. about animal cruelty. I want... The, and Ben, you'll like this. I want the number about uh, labor violations. Um, I think that it's... I, I really think it's morally abhorrent to make a fun-filled musical about P.T. Barnum and call it The Greatest Showman. Which mm-hmm. is, I'm not necessarily anti-roadshow, like the like a, yeah. a populist type circus but it is deplorable to celebrate that man in this way like that that guy's again animal cruelty labor violations i'm wrapping this up and i'm the way i'm gonna put a button on this <laughs> is to anyone who lives in la maybe they've seen this and anyone who doesn't i'm happy to tell you about this in west hollywood if you are walking i think on san vicente you will see the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is just a building between, it's like, it's on. Thank you. It's on Roberts. Oh, it's on my walk on to Robert's the Abbey. On, yeah, it's it's right down the it's street. Right from, it's right down the, the street from the Abbey. Yeah, and it is like so. You got the Abbey on that block, but you've also got like Tortilla Republic. Yeah, but you, <laughs> but but you've got like places that charge like fifty dollars for a cup of tea, and like places that only sell like artisan sofas, like just so out of touch. Yeah, and the actual Hollywood Foreign Press Association building is a brick like french summer house looking thing mm-hmm. with with vines coming down the side and you walk past that place and you think to yourself whoever lives there is the most out of touch collective of fucking white people that exist in this town so fuck them i don't yeah. give a shit what they have to say like, yeah i will i want to add one thing their perspective is the last one i want that uh the 
HFPA, how they differ from the director's branch of the Academy, is I think uh, 2015 taught us that the director's branch of the Academy doesn't give a fuck about Ridley Scott, and they're not going to nominate him for all the No. World. Oh, so that yeah. is one spot that... They thought that, they were being real clever with that yeah. Christopher Plummer nomination. And Did they see the fucking movie? I, I, can, oh, I feel like we can assume Sony bought these nominations. I do, I, I do think he finished it in time for an HFPS screen. For sure. I'm sure they saw it. But yeah. I've yeah. heard it has been screened. These tastemakers whose voices are so important because what their achievements have changed the way that we view culture in this world. Like, yeah. It's so stupid. The show but, is fun, but yeah. I, I just can't. I, I'm pretty furious. I'm really furious that Jordan Peele did not get the double nominations and that Greta didn't get the director nomination. Mm-hmm. But these people are so out of touch and always have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is one of those uh, years for me when the tourist gets a best picture nomination. Right. Like, I don't give a shit about it. Yeah. This. this this was a pretty pretty bad year. I can't wait to watch the show probably with you two and get wasted. Yeah, the first exactly. I don't care what they have to say. No, the exactly. Just it's just don't. it's just fun to watch. It was the first That's time the... looking at like awards nominations in a couple of years that I literally like scanned through, closed the tab, and like I didn't think about it for several more hours. I was just like, I. I don't it's care. just they're yeah they're they're dumb it's they're boring they don't mean anything it's just what like, have they contributed to the culture in order to make their perspective important just jack shit they right. throw a really good party every year that's yeah. what i'm saying you, you walk for best comedy or you walk past that chalet you think to yourself whoever lives there is the last person whose opinion i want on anything culturally related or mm-hmm. anything yeah well, we didn't want to talk about the Golden anyway, Globes. And anyway, their, <laughs> their nomination leader this year was The Shape of Water. So, moving forward. Enjoy, Nice everyone. segue. That's it. <laughs> okay, shut up. <laughs> I have five beverages. <laughs> Why do you have so many liquids? Ben has a lime liqueur, water in a mug, a bit of wine. Water in a bottle. No, this is tea. And a warm beer. Oh. This is tea in the mug. Tea in the mug. Your beverages are... Half a sip of wine in a tall glass. They're encroaching on my space. (laughs) Yeah, and they're sandwiched between two blue snowball bites. (laughs) My mountain. I have land over here. Daniel, did you wear green on purpose? No, I didn't, but... uh, how fun. How fun. <laughs> was there green in this movie? I, I didn't um, notice. You know, Dude. I don't think they mentioned it enough. No. Um, but there's... Okay, so I mostly love the green in this movie. I'm mostly way into the over-the-top color-coding mise-en-scene. Mm-hmm. I love Doug, Sirk, you know? Dougie's my boy. But when Michael Shannon is buying his Chrysler, mm-hmm. and the guy, and he's like, I don't like that car, it's too green. And it's like, <laughs> if you haven't gotten it yet, this guy doesn't this... like to fish. <laughs> he is not on the same side as the good guys here. But then he eats the candy that's green, and he talks that about is how true. he loves the candy. He loves, he loves the, candy. the cheap green candy. And he only chews it when he's anxious, and then something, and he's sucking on it, and then something happens, and he just takes a big bite down, and then yeah. it cuts. Yeah, I... I loved that. Mm, I don't really like that very much. Uh, <laughs> great sound design. Can we roll this back and start where the movie starts, which is with vigorous masturbation? <laughs> can... <laughs> that is... I just think we need to... Uh, when I saw it when I saw it at AFI Fest, the programmer opened up, opened up the film by saying, 
how he thought this movie was going to win a lot of Oscars and warm a lot of hearts. And so when Sally started <clears throat> flicking the bean two minutes in, <laughs> the like you could feel the audience uh, shifting like, in their seats because mm-hmm. we were primed for something very sweet, um, not something sex positive. Like I mean, that. it is very or, sweet. Or it's very... It is, I agree it's with presented it. in a very sweet, lovable way. There's something it's very... It's how she passes the time when her eggs are boiling. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, by, by scrambling her own eggs. It's a very Jean Diomenesque opening. Okay, hold on. So I can't wait <laughs> yes. to talk about this. Yes. Uh, when I watched it again today, I clocked this. When she, uh, so she vigorously flicks and she vigorously scrubs, scrubs the shoe. shoe. Yeah. She scrubs the shoe and it she does very... not drop the brush. Yeah. Once no. again, all of cinema can be brought back to Jean Dielman, <laughs> including true. the films that came before it. It's true. So, yeah, let's let's talk about... It's the first thing, it's literally, she wakes up, she gets ready for a day, and, and that includes masturbating. Adorable masturbating. And Adorable masturbating. specifically masturbating in water. Yeah. In the tub. Yeah, in case we didn't get it, she's got a bit of a water fetish going on. Um, which, <laughs> if, if you didn't Was know... Was too much for if you, you, Daniel? No, it's just like, if you didn't know... That it was the fish fuck movie going in, and everyone knows that. And this is I'm using your term, Brandon. That Thank you. This fish fucks. This fish fucks. This fish has a penis that emerges from a Kendall formation. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fish fucks, and and so when you see her uh, jerking it in the tub, like I mean, you, you know that she's gonna have, she's gonna fuck in the water again. She's gonna hop in that tank. Great. I don't dislike I, it. I'm I just saying it's it. a little on the nose. I think everything so, is on the nose. I know. The whole on the nose. I I agree with that, and it mostly works for me. Like you have to get okay with the fact that your characters are archetypes right. in the same way that classical Hollywood cinema is right. dealing with types and actors. So uh, Nathaniel Rogers of the Film Experience, I think, has the best observation about Octavia Spencer, which is that she's the Thelma Ritter of her generation. Oh. Which is perfect, because, like, Thelma would also, like, slot into just, like, the sassy, uh, well, I'm thinking of, like, Rear Window, so, like, the nurse role, and she's just wisecracking on the sides, and all, of course, and all about Eve, and, like, always the smart pillow top. Always the smartest person in the room is what I'm trying to say. I'm like, I just always want to like, keep talking about Thelma Ritter now. Yeah, please, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, all I was going to say is uh, I think that observation especially rings true in this movie where Octavia and Richard Jenkins and, and every B.C. character in the movie is they just have one job to one job to do and they do it. And it's not, right. that, not that the performances are one note, just that the characters are archetypes. That Del Toro ends up breathing a lot of life into. Yeah, I, I found that Octavia's character and Jenkins' characters, they're living in their own stories and their own movies within the movie. I think their arcs are fully satisfied. Yeah. I don't think they're... I mean, they're service, They're ultimately servicing Sally Hawkins' Fishbuck fairy tale. Right. But, you know, I think it, they're also dealing with their own sense of self and identity. Yeah. How and, do they fit into the society around them? Yeah. Right. Which I is think not that their, the acting in particular elevates those parts i agree octavia spencer like anyone else doing that part it would be purely plot function mm-hmm. and i think she is the reason that there's a, like you can see the life around what she does in the movie i agree i think that's true about octavia spencer and i think that's true about richard jenkins but i did not know that deus ex machina in russian is pronounced michael stolberg his character is complete plot and i and i don't get any sense of character from him apart from what he brings to it right but his private life is so less interesting 
than Octavia's or Richard's. Yeah. And that, that, that part of the movie, true. you need that part of the movie in order to function in the plot that Guillermo del Toro has built here. Mm. Like they're, the whole, uh, you know, red threat hangs over the whole thing. Mm. So in order to sell that, you have to have that character play that role. I would just rather you find a different way to tell your story because I, and I never thought I'd say this, but I just need little to no Stullbarg at all. Wow. The Russian, I don't love that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've, the, the biggest critique of the movie I've seen is that, like, that stuff, there's too much of it. For me, it worked. I think it set up the, 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 the time and place and, uh, like, the, the political, not political, but, like, the yeah. intrigue yeah. of it, like, the Russian stuff. Yeah. Uh, but if it was, I to your point, I do agree that if it was any other actor doing it, it would be less. It, it, it is a... Uh, good thing that it is Stolberg I was on doing board with it. That. My biggest yeah. problem with Stolberg's character is not so much the Russian stuff, even though, as I just put on the record, I could do without it. It's that you don't get Fishman out of the high security laboratory without him just happening to be there with the keys. You don't, right. Richard Jenkins doesn't get shot because he happens to be there with the lethal injection. Mm-hmm. Stolbark's character is always there at the right moment, at the right time. And, and it's not just that, it's like Sally and Richard would not have succeeded in their goal had Richard not been in Michael Shannon's office to distract him from the camera footage of, uh, right. of, uh, of the camera moving in the, in, uh, like the loading dock mm-hmm. where they make their escape. And then had he not gone back to the fish man's room to unlock the shackles, the fish doesn't go free. Yeah. I find that extremely annoying. So please tell me why you guys don't care. And I'm not yeah, saying like, tell I me think... why I'm wrong. Tell me why you love this movie so much that you don't care about that sort of plot mechanic. So at that point in the movie, because I was getting hung up on certain elements of this movie, how how everything was very on the nose, how it is so romantic um, and just like bursting with, it's almost like too precious, but um, I got over that pretty quickly. And so once it gets to the point where the caper is going down and these very, like you said, these very convenient plot devices are happening, it just felt like I was watching a really good, like, I, I like the fact that it just felt like a, a movie at that point. Like, because even Richard Jenkins' character says, like, just like in the movies. And it's like, it is a fairy tale, so it can lean into those really convenient devices. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, what do you think, Ben? I was just, I'm always just so on board with Guillermo del Toro, including, like, the, the poorly reviewed films such as Crimson Peak. I am just... Always, I think there's a way that he is able to move the camera and there's literally not a single static shot in the movie. And I think that I am particularly drawn to it and I am able to forgive anything in the script because what he does with the camera is so exciting to me that I, like, I can see the way that he's moving the camera to, like, make me believe that Michael Stolberg has a real life. And it's just, like, this innate, like, connection I have. And, like, you can see he, there is this lead-up of him, like, he notices Sally Hawkins is where she should not be, that she's interested in the fish man in a way that she should not be. Like, there, it's like there are these breadcrumbs of plot. And it is just plot, but it, like, works for me in the 
accumulation of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is, like you said, large part just his craft. Yeah. Where these these plot points just moving along. And like Brandon said, I love that it just... it feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. It just very and and to our larger theme, it just feels like classic old old Hollywood. Um, yeah, and the, I think it's the, referential, but with like it it is Guillermo, and I see his heart and his soul. This and like what he is interested in beyond his interest in old movies. Yeah, this this is his best movie since Pan's Labyrinth eleven years ago, and. I think it's as good as Pan's Labyrinth. I haven't rewatched Pan's Labyrinth in a long time. It's not as good. I just watched it last week okay. in preparation <laughs> for this, and like that movie is literally flawless. Okay, but <laughs> but it, but it, it shares a lot of the same themes. This for me was like a mix. Of... They both start with this like, let me tell you a tale of a princess. Of a, exactly. Right. Yeah, and then the, and and then at the end, you don't know if the princess is in a better place or if she's nah, she's probably dead. But you can imagine. Oh, let's imagine she's in a better place. Well, you know, Guillermo del Toro has been pretty adamant um, that the ending of Pan's Labyrinth is to be taken as literal, and he has also expressed frustration at people's cynicism to assume that the little girl in Pan's Labyrinth assuming her rightful throne is a fantasy. Mm-hmm. It is some sort of death vision that she has in her final moments. Mm-hmm. He's on the record. Like, no, 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 that happens. Like, she goes to the fairy realm at the end of the movie and assumes her new role as yeah. the princess, oh, wow. as the queen. I didn't know that. In, in Shape of Water, it's completely explicit that, that this is for real. Ending. I think so, too. Um, oh, that it is a happy ending. I, I, oh, so I'm just a pessimistic <laughs> asshole. Cynical is the word, I think. That <laughs> I definitely use. read cynicism in a Pan's Labyrinth at the end, but I don't with this. Well, there's so, something about the way that I Pan's... mean, he is a god, and you do see that he has the ability, ability to like, heal and do what, yeah. and do what so he could give her gills. Yeah, that's a good example of what I found to be a great script reveal when it was timed. Like, we don't, you know, in your second act, you have to shake up the story in a way. You have to introduce Mm -hmm. some new rules. They can't be foundational because then they're unbelievable, but sort of like some new spice on the predicaments in order to shake up the, or, you know, make the drama a little tastier. Right. I feel like, uh, I feel like Stolbarg and Shannon would have known about these magical powers earlier, Um, but I don't care. That's something I'm willing to forgive. Mm -hmm. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, of movie magic versus logic in the film. But hold on, I just want to say before yeah, we yeah, move yeah. forward, I uh, do agree um, that Guillermo del Toro knows how to stage, a, like, an action sequence. Mm-hmm. And a lot gets talked about what an idiosyncratic, gorgeous um, visual stylist he is and the way that he marries, like, the grotesque with the... Yes. Like ethereal and magical, like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, that's incredible. No one else does it. But no, there is no one else the splashes of violence... Oh, and the splashes of yeah. just sex positivity it's too. The masters, right. beautiful. I could yeah. the uh, fingers. I could talk about the fingers uh, forever. I could too. Mm-hmm. Let's okay. Let's no. I'll, your thought I'll because then... because then we can move forward. But I just want to say there were when I'm watching the loading dock uh, escape sequence, and I am frustrated. I did not get over it. The fact that their plan would not have succeeded had Michael Stahlberg not been in the room at that exact time right. and had he not happened to get to the guard right before he pulled the trigger on Richard Jenkins. These things just fundamentally don't work for me. But I really enjoy the sequence. It's thrilling, right? Yeah. And the beats are really fun. Like when Richard Jenkins smashes into Michael the Shannon's car. new convertible. Oh, That's yeah. great. And both times I was watching the movie in the third act, which I, I have to be honest, like... I get so frustrated around the Michael Shannon character, which we'll talk about later, that it sort of takes me out of the movie. And I also feel like Del Toro doesn't set up certain emotional through lines that I need for the ending to be mm. have heavy stakes for me. 
and we'll talk about all that, but the shot of Michael Shannon running up the stairs to her apartment, mm-hmm. I, I think is like a perfect example of how he knows exactly what to do with his camera to convey excitement, mm-hmm. tension, and just keep pushing the story, or more specifically, like his, these sequences forward and like yeah. keeping that momentum. And I admire him so much. That's a tremendous gift. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's on the record. Go ahead. <laughs> was anyone uh, reminded of Amelie watching this? I was. Yeah. Um, did Despot did the score for Amelie, right? Oh, I don't know. Probably don't not. Know. I'm going to sound really stupid for this. But oh, it, God, the score. But the, score it, the score in this movie is amazing. That's what, I mean, that's partly what makes me think of Amelie. Of course, also... It looks like a, a cartoon in a lot right. of And there's the the French notes in, in the score. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and just the overwhelming romantic like the vibe. Very, the precious yeah. vibe of it. And the fact that in, in Amelie, doesn't she have an old neighbor that she goes to and he's a painter as well? I, probably. I don't and know. There are a lot of quirky Parisians in that movie. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought of Amelie a lot. Um, but but the difference, well, they both go after what they want in terms of love. But like Amelie, she always is helping others and not helping herself. But like Sally Hawkins in this, and she's like, I know what I want. We're, we're saving the fish. Yeah. Listen to me. So can I say the scene that um, that won me? Yeah, yeah I'm dying to know. So Brandon, uh, set this up. So I I had qualms with the movie. Um, I was like, this is too precious. I think I said this minutes ago, but this is too precious, and it's it's there's a, some things are too convenient. But then it was the moment, which is also probably going to be Sally Hawkins' Oscar clip, when she confronts Richard Jenkins and just forces him to listen to her and explains why she wants to break him out. And I just started weeping Jenkins. and I was like, okay, this Guillermo del Toro, he got me. Guillermo del Toro got me. It's a great moment, moment when, when Jenkins uh, pushes her out of the way so he can go show his artwork to the ad people and he says he's not even human. And then Sally says, if we do nothing, neither are we. That it, it's a very powerful I moment. died when she says, <clears throat> like, I don't talk either. Yeah. I don't know what the line is. And... It, it's right before he pushes her aside, right? Yes. Yeah. And she's like, like, am I not human? Right. And that, she is so, yeah, she is so good. I just yeah. want to put on the if record. If she wins the Oscar, I'd be fine with that. I, I would, would too. too. And this is, I, I like this movie a lot. I wish I loved it. There are specific things that are stuck in my craw that nothing will unstick. Yeah. Sally Hawkins deserves to win the Academy Award for Best Actress. This is an extraordinary performance. Um, it's pretty amazing. Sersha is probably still my number one vote. Sally is number two, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sersha's still number one, but yeah, yeah, I agree. I... And it's not just the fact that it is a wordless performance and that she learned to sign and that she managed to be so expressive. It's that most of the movie is told through her face. It's also told through Del Toro's stylishness and that same command over visual language that we were just talking about. But there's a lot of her face on this and a lot of the emotion, I think, comes from her, apart from the mise-en-scene informing it. And she get, like she makes you laugh, she makes you cry. Like I, I don't know how to be eloquent about it. When but she, she signs, she, fuck you. Oh, yeah. it's great. It's great. Ben, will you walk us... Sorry. No, on. I was just going to say, uh-huh. I think this movie just like really... I told my friend this earlier today. She asked me how it was. 
and I said, I think the, your ability to re, like enjoy this movie really just rests on your ability to just like how you feel about Sally Hawkins as an actor. If you go into this movie already and you're you don't think she's the best actress alive, you are not going to get this Do movie. Do people think that? I know people who are like cold on her. Who are simply whelmed. Yes, on Sally. <laughs> simply whelmed on who Sally. Are simply whelmed on Sally. Have they not seen Happy Go Lucky? No, I, I have. How are you whelmed what on the Sally? Fuck? How do you watch Happy Go Lucky and not instantly canonize her? I know, but there are people. Well, all right. Well, and so I'm sure that so I know those some people of them, stepping in. It's going to be tough for them to enjoy this movie, unless you just like whimsy. It is very so. Uh, well, all right, <laughs> Ben. I want you to walk us through the uh, the scene, capital S. You know the one. My the my scene. Oh, it is I, your scene. That I yeah. reference to you? Yeah. I hope that we're thinking about the dance scene? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Walk, us, walk us through it. Does it not work for you? Oh, guys, I don't want to be this person. But no, I, no, you have I'm, to. I'm, but I want you, I to, be I want you to express your love. Yeah. And then I'm going to say why it works 80% for me. I just think, um, I was, I think I was more enamored than both of you of the whole movie from like the get-go it sounds like mm -hmm. i love no i loved the whimsy that was not a barrier and for entry for me i was into that i was like like objectively i can see the things you guys were talking about but i don't care mm -hmm. it was like one of those situations i just don't care that there uh, so are I, I that's how i feel about titanic I just according to yeah. the motion picture titanic the ship would not have sunk if the night watchmen were not <laughs> distracted yes. by Jack and Rose making out on the front deck. Yes. Because they barely grazed the, you know, the iceberg. I don't give a shit. Yeah. It, I don't care. The movie this, is so transported. This is just how I feel. So I, I, under, I understand, I understand you. Yeah. And yeah. I, I didn't care. I ended up, my, my care ended, but right. later than, than yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there was this thought in my mind as I watched it though of, yes, I'm enjoying this a lot, but is this really great mm -hmm. or am i just enjoying it that yeah and mm -hmm. then we get to the dance scene and i have decided that makes set it up the movie for me set it up um so we have uh we've rescued the fish he's living with her mm -hmm. and they're sitting at the kitchen table it's very I domestic i don't very remember Jean what Dillon. happened just before I think it's after she's. It's I don't know if it's the same it's, day that she gets, rescued him, but it's, it's like the night before he needs to go. leave. That's right. right. It's the night before the rain. It's the night before the tenth, and that she's gonna it's send the him ninth. Off. It's the night before they're yeah. gonna release him. And oh my god! So, sorry, today's the eleventh. We really missed an opportunity. Oh, that's so true. Oh. Anyway, sorry. And um, she is starting to sign, like "I love you" and various kind words and she starts speaking the words very raspy raspy the way that a mute person would try to be speaking and then she is able to say full-throated and then it emerges say what she says it's really moving. i don't remember it's basically like you will never know how much i love how much i love right yeah and she sings the song and then she sings the song and they dance like a friend uh it's top hat right Astaire it's rogers hat, yeah I was gonna say Fred or Swing Fred. Time. Yeah, have you guys seen Swing Time? I have. Swing Time's great. That mm -hmm. extended uh, uh, dance lesson scene. Yes. Anyway, I'm a big fan of all of the Rogers Astaire musicals. My uh, mom's <sighs> uh, miniature poodles are named Ginger and Fred. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, uh, 
Um, and then they do a full dancing, and then we get the reverse of and it she goes, goes back to black to and being, white. Yes, and it goes to black and white for the dance. And I just thought it speaks like uh, it is. It's on the nose, but it just it brings this movie to a new level for me of like what it's trying to do and communicate about how these two disparate creatures feel about each other. Yeah, and and for me that really drove home the moment. I mean, the theme that this is about. You know, these people who can consider themselves outsiders finding escape in movies like yes. she, she lives above a movie theater Richard Jenkins character is watching I think a scene where someone is singing the same song that she ends up singing to the fish when when he I sorry I just love when they're watching the uh that classic Shirley Temple number with her and the butler when they're dancing mm-hmm. yes. up the stairs and he says this thing which like any gay, gay man would say to the credit of the performers that's so hard to do. Like, <laughs> just like you need to understand what you're watching seems very light and off the cuff. You have to train to uh, please admire the technical That's craft. True. So, so my reaction to the dance scene, I think, lands in between Ben's and yours, Daniel. So mine. Let, let me say before you say that the on the noseness is not a problem for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. This. So say your reaction, then I'll do mine. No, no. Well, okay, that might make more sense if you want to be in the middle. Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna end up in the middle. Okay. I don't. It mostly works for me. I love that it's on the nose. I love that it transports you literally, as Brandon was saying, into the glamour of the movies and into the catharsis of dance that you see in all the Stair Rogers movies. I think it's beautiful, and I think that seeing the other in a mainstream role, uh, like to be Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, is not to be on the outside. It is to be at the top of the world, two of the most adored faces and that represent love and mutual respect and talent and I love an expression and I love all of that. It's not enough. That scene okay. should have been two minutes longer. That that should have That's been a, it should have been a three and a half minute dance number as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. It felt more like a brief fantasy than a full out. It's uh, interesting. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I don't know, know what to say, but I think you know what I mean. The second is, and I don't think you guys are going to agree with me on this. I don't understand why a woman who has been mute her entire life who really shows no desire to speak um in her fantasy she's singing full-throatedly and that's like this gorgeously like melodic voice well i think i don't think that she the character's really too hung up on the fact that that's an expression that is outside of her experience. I just don't understand. Like that felt like the movie taking control for me, rather than Sally Hawkins, rather than um, Eliza actually living out her purest fantasy. Um, I don't know. I think that she's I, she loves. You can tell that she loves. Movies right. And she's right. watching these scenes. No, I know. I know. And she clearly loves that. And we see her tap dance with Richard mm-hmm. Jenkins. Well, we see her tap down the hall at the yes. end of the movie, which is great. And we see her uh, doing a little soft shoe mm-hmm. uh, with Richard Jenkins on the couch. I just get, I just don't understand why we needed to hear her sing and why in her fantasy she's singing. Because she doesn't really seem to have a problem with the fact that she can't speak. In fact, it seems to be like she has this, not a, con- a level of condescension, but a power over everybody else to right. intuit more. So I'm not saying it's problematic for me. I'm just saying I didn't understand I, I, did, I didn't understand why that would be the character's fantasy. I, I think you're right. I think it is the movie trying to express a larger theme taking over like what might be the character's motive. I think it is form over yeah. motive in that. Um, so I, I land somewhere in the middle. I 
when it first started happening, I was like, okay, this is really <laughs> going to become the artist right now. Mm-hmm. And then it kept going, and then I was like, no, this is, I get it, okay. And then I started realizing, like, your point that it speaks to a larger theme about the, the magic of the movies and blah, that mm-hmm. being an escape, blah, blah. And then, and then next thing you know, um, it was over. So you wanted it to be longer. I thought it was the perfect length because I was getting like, I was like, oh, it's happening. And then it's, it ends and I, we're back. And I I'm guess like, I okay. wanted more creative staging of that scene. Like they really just dance around for little bits and then he gets on one knee and she sits on his lap and then that is the dissolved moment back to her at the table. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's enough. I, I would have... Okay. Uh, I don't mean this... Um, I'm sorry, my mind went to putting on the Ritz from Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> and I feel like the monster does more than the creature <laughs> does in this movie. Um, certainly ex- Fair. P- puts more of himself into it. Like, really like goes out on a limb. Yeah. And I don't... It, it's too um, technically precise. It's too truncated. Mm-hmm. I wanted... like I wanted that scene in Swing Time, that dancing yeah. lesson scene, where... We, and what's great about uh, Stare and Rogers is the way that their dance scenes just keep one-upping themselves as they go on, and the spectacle becomes their so... Their dance scenes are a full sexual act. Yeah! From foreplay to climax <laughs> to, like, relaxation. Yeah, and then there's a seven-minute refractory period, yes. and they do it again. Yes. It's great. Uh-huh. I wanted that. Um, I think that's fair. It works in theory for me, and I enjoy watching it on screen. It's just not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough for me. That's I just fair. think, but again, eighty percent. I I like that part of the I movie. just it think just could be bigger. Is, I just think she would want to express herself via song because she loves movies, and I just buy that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just buy it, and that's how I feel. <laughs> These are my feelings, and I feel them. Let's talk about how. That is making <laughs> badly. You I'm want to like Shannon to fuck your brains out? Fish gills with my <laughs> mouth. Um, <laughs> I can't even like describe what I was doing. He's giving himself yeah fish mouth. Um, <laughs> this, ladies and gentlemen, this fish fox. That <laughs> Sally Hawkins wears green, the color of ghosts and the other world and death in Victorian literature. Until she fucks the fish, and then she wears red, the color of life, for the rest of the film. (laughs) We, I'm sure, I'm sure we will get into this. French kissing. Should we talk about Douglas Sirk now, or? Yeah, no, not yet. I'm not ready. Okay. Well, just in the context of color. Oh, okay, yeah, Yeah, sure. And that is something I love about the movie. So, the first time I saw it, about a month ago, I, was AFI already a month ago? Unfortunately, God, time is where moving the really fuck fast. Is time going? I wish I was dead. <laughs> well, well soon, we're, you're one so month closer. Thankfully, so you're a lucky man. Um, uh, uh, this time around, the emotions of the mise en scene influenced my uh, feelings on the movie a lot more, in a good way. Mm-hmm. I was much more won over with this thing on, in round two, and a lot of it has to do with how. Every uh, every scene looks like it's underwater. Yeah, um, I love that, that great seafoam greens and sort of like the tubularness of. No one here plays video games, but it reminded me for the listeners. If anyone plays Bioshock, no, fuck off. Okay, I didn't it's say a that lot. was a bad thing. <laughs> he just it's... said he doesn't play it. 
You're projecting shame. <laughs> <laughs> call me by my shame. I hope I'm going to call you by your gamer. <laughs> Thanks. Um, anyway, it's a lot like Bioshock. Check it out at GameStop.com. <laughs> I don't know. Where do you buy games? Whatever. Anyway, Daniel, continue. We can catch you by your GameStop. <laughs> um, I hate myself. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm going to third to Ben. I just wanted to say this time around the, the, uh, the mise-en-scene influenced the character's emotions for me a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. I was much more impressed with it. And, yeah. and Ben brings up a great example of the green to red switch. Mm-hmm. Um, giving, I mean, I'm, I can't truthfully say this gives Carol's green and reds a run for their money, but there's a couple scenes, especially because we watched Sally through windows with like beads of rain on them. I was yeah. thinking of Carol. Yeah. I love that whole extended sequence where the bead of rain yes. just dances for so long. You're like, is this going to be the rest of the movie? <laughs> is she magic now? <laughs> I love it. Also water with Amelie where she turns into a puddle. Anyway, I'm just going to keep bringing it back to Amelie. Yeah. I did think about Amelie a little bit. Ben, I'm continue you. Your thought. I don't know what else. I mean, I just wanted to say that. Just she, it's a lot of, there's just this. It's a lot of green. There's just this <laughs> really. He just has such like a knowledge base of gothic horror that like mm-hmm. that's where these color schemes mm-hmm. come from, and it just I really like it just hits me where I live. And no matter how many times I see these tropes, it just works. The set design too, it like at times looks like H.R. Giger. Mm-hmm. Um, just like this super like rusted out, um, uh, chunky uh, like like the the tub that he's in, all of the yeah. pipes going everywhere in the laboratory. And her apartment is like falling apart. She doesn't have a bedroom. She sleeps on the couch. Yeah. Which is not a comfortable looking couch to sleep on. No, it's like a Victorian fainting <laughs> yes. couch. Yeah. It's for fainting, um, not for getting a good amazing. <laughs> not for getting a solid eight to ten. Um which is also green. The couch is green. Every yeah, the the green for me in this movie, it was like it was too much while also being just enough. enough. Just enough. <laughs> I don't know. It was like Okay, he paints the jello. Well, we want the yeah. jello to be green. I eat these candies. They're green. My car is green. The key lime pie is yeah. green. The key lime pie is unrealistically green. Yeah, that is what a moment. What was that pie? That's a moment that worked for me the second time around. The first time I saw it, I rolled my eyes when he opened the refrigerator to reveal all this pie. Because pies. that's just impossible. And right. does Richard Jenkins not eat anything else but uh, <laughs> leftover pie? That he can pie? this old piece of pie that he doesn't like. Well, and he's, you know, he... I actually don't really like I this line, like... but when he's like on the proverbial starving and then gets cut off and it's like, oh, he's a proverbial starving artist. Mm-hmm. Um, if he can't afford to put any food in his refrigerator, he certainly can't afford to buy 18 pieces of pie. But he's in love with the, the white, internalized, homophobic gay who he's not gay. ends up being racist. He's not gay. I think he's it, a piece of shit. I read it as internalized homophobia mm-hmm. and he's also racist. So I just wanted, uh, <laughs> I just want to update the count here. So... Uh, the pie, the pie guy is gay for Brandon. Uh, <laughs> Willem Dafoe's son in the Florida Project is gay. Uh, I just think we should keep a running list Excuse of. Excuse me. No, I'm not. I'm not, uh, I'm not demeaning this. I'm. I want to keep a list of all the characters that are gay in the Kirbyverse. Thank you. <laughs> I want to live in that world. I just like making every character on screen that I see gay. I mean, <laughs> movie is a queer romance. Okay, it so is. can we talk about? Um, the romance of the yeah. movie, the relationship between the creature and Eliza. Okay. I'll go last. <laughs> wow. Ben can go first. Um, I don't even know what to say about it because I just, I'm in it. 
I believe it. I yeah. want it. I here for it. Yeah. There 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 was the way it escalates. There weren't enough scenes of them together for me to fully believe the monster falling in love with her. Mm. But I forgave it. I forget that was that was another slight qualm I had that I was able to look beyond because the scenes that they do have together, although I don't think there were maybe enough, um, the the scenes that were there I loved. The eggs, holding up the records. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't quite forgive it. Um, I don't fall in love with these characters in the first act of this movie. I don't understand, I don't understand why Eliza feels safe enough to be in the room with him for the first time when mm-hmm. she just picked up the severed fingers of a guy who she doesn't know is the worst yet. Right. Like what she knows about the creature is he lives in water, which is a huge turn on for her. Oh, but yeah. he also just bit a guy's fingers off. Um, I don't really buy that. She sits on the edge of the tub, just waiting for him for the first time. I, I, I want to see her, cleaning the uh the the fish man's room by herself and then he comes out of the water and she has a moment where she's like ah, and then she like slowly approaches him and then she realizes like she, oh he's misunderstood like she, me because she's all in from the start isn't yeah she? which i just don't i understand why she recognizes an other in him because mm-hmm. he is being carted around in this gigantic uh, water prison and sort of being talked about not as a human. I get why she relates to him on that. I just, she's all in from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And with a romance, you need a build. You need an, a flirtation at the beginning that is believable for me. Once once they get him out of there, I'm really on board with the romance. And I'm quite moved by it. And it gets a little swoony, a little underwater swoon. But I, I, that's how I feel, Brandon. I mean, there's, I don't think there's much of a believable build going up to this. And I wanted to see the creature learning sign language, apart from her just being like touching her fingers together and saying egg. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we, I, I know that the creature's super smart. Music. Right. Touch your forearm. I just wanted more of that. I, I wanted to spend more time with them in mm. that room. I want to cut. I don't need to see Michael Shannon fucking his wife at home from that overhead angle. I, you don't? I, I hate that. Well, Ben, Ben, just let me put it on the record now. I think Michael mm-hmm. Shannon is bad in this movie. Um, oh! I think he is going so far over I the just top. Fainted. I think he is burnt ham. No, let's. All right, let's get into Michael Shannon. Uh, I, I think. I, yeah, Ben. Takes I, yeah, away. it's not fair to not let Ben respond. To that. <laughs> um, when you insult the love of my life this way, <laughs> it just really. <laughs> I'm a fan. That he's he's my husband, <laughs> and what, I'm your friend. What do you want? I should be allowed to say these things. To what you. What do you want him to do to you? I've, I'm on the record as <laughs> saying that I would like him to fuck me against a wall until my head caves in. <laughs> you want him to uh, to fuck you so hard that his fingers start bleeding into yes, your mouth? Yes, I do. Um, I'm just so. What in a serious way, what I was going to say mm. is I think this is a bad role, period. I agree. And he doesn't elevate it the way that Octavia Spencer and Richard Jenkins elevate their roles, but I don't think he's bad in it. I think it is a whelming performance. <laughs> I think that he goes so far I think that he goes so far over the top in his anger in this movie. Just 
unhinged outbursts that just tear the screen apart. They're not believable for me. And when the character itself is already such an exaggerated version of evil, to then make it even more exaggerated, like, that is a bad choice to me. That, that takes, it takes effort to make that character even more of a cartoon. And I understand that this movie is a fairy tale, and he is the monster, mm-hmm. so he should be monstrous. But even, even for a monster, this is way too much for me. I thought it um, worked. I, I don't there, think it's too over the top. I thought there are elements of nuance in it, even in the the writing of the role. I mean, he's he's Let, okay. He's monstrous, but it's also like subtle. I don't know. Right. I disagree. Let's move forward. But I want to talk about something else with the character. Were you happy to spend so much time with him by himself rather than with Eliza and the creature getting to spend more time in that romance? It didn't like, bother me. We could have 10 more minutes of the romance of this movie. I don't remember any fairy tale that spends this much time in the point of view of its antagonist. I, that it, it's very unbalanced to me. I, li- I liked it driving home the fact that uh, of toxic masculinity. And, I love that too. Like the evil white dude. I love that too. Um, These are some of my favorite themes in film. <laughs> I also I, I didn't, didn't think, it was think t- that there was a problem in the way that the Lazarus is built. I believed it. But, was in it. but we can have more time with them. We can fall just, deeper in love. I am just... I enjoy the, like, just the way that the mechanics of the plot fit together into this, like, puzzle box. I will agree with you, Daniel. I just enjoy it. With, hold on, Brandon. I So I don't agree with the way he puts this story together, but I think you can't argue with the fact that Del Toro knows exactly what he wants to put together in this movie, and he they, they fit together into that into that puzzle, and not, like... A jigsaw puzzle, like one of those wooden squares yeah. that pull apart. Yeah, it's a three D, like a three D puzzle. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted. To, so I hear. What, I hear what you're saying. This I is think, very novel to me. And yeah, it's exciting, and I can't get past. And it. And this is why he's a master of the form. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just disagree fundamentally with the shape of those puzzle pieces. <gasps> the shape. The shape. Yeah. The shape of the water, water? was love, Brandon. As uh, you were. Well, I'm gonna agree with you, Daniel, in that. When he, like, is fucking his wife and he's like, don't talk. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Now he's going to want to fuck Eliza because she can't talk. Yeah, I find that very upsetting because I don't need to... That was a little... Speaking of on the nose. <laughs> yeah, the what, his bloody fingers on his wife's nose? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was like, funny. Literally. I don't need a setup to know that this guy is a scumbag and doesn't want women to talk. Right. Like, of course he wants to have sex with the woman who's not able to speak... Um, vocally like of course he wants that i actually think that it is um it is not on the same level but again it sort of makes me think of detroit's um this whole idea that like not all cops are bad but like this one cop is really bad and it's this movie is like trying to say on some level like michael shannon he's like really bad like he certainly represents this larger problem but this guy's like really bad like he doesn't want his wife to talk when she's having sex. And then because we know that about the character, we know that he wants to harass the Sally Hawkins character and tell her specifically, I don't want you to talk. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need that plant. Of course he doesn't want her to talk. Yeah. Of course that appeals to him. He's a chauvinist and he doesn't care about anyone's experience but his own. Yeah. And it's wasted time. I want to spend more time in the first act with the creature and Sally getting to know each other. That's, hey. that's just what I want. Hey. I will talk should about... should be a three-hour movie then. What How I about like that? about I... this scene. <laughs> I'm not opposed. Yes, tell us. That will segue into my favorite thing to talk about with Guillermo del Toro, which is the female gaze. Yeah. And I am quite 
a fan of the way that that sex scene starts, which is his wife starts it. And I think there's a way that when she pops her breast out and the way that Sally Hawkins gets nude in the sex scenes and in the beginning when she masturbates that is very non-sexual and it doesn't like it's frank the breasts are there Mm -hmm. but it is not fetishistic Mm -hmm. and it is there is more fetishizing of the fish body and of michael shannon's ass they both have fantastic asses than there is of the women's breasts and that's why i like the sex scene not i mean i get the criticism of that he's it makes him you know on the nose of him being a shit guy but I like the way that it's set up. I hear it's you. Presented. I, I don't totally agree um, that it's from the wife's perspective because we never see her and the kids again. Like, sure. They feel like devices, but I like what you're saying and I will take it. Um, I, I just think because we never return to the house, why even set up, like, why waste the production's money, like, in this location when you could have done a whole other day on the dance sequence later on? Sure. You know? But I do like bringing up the female gaze. Yeah. And I do like bringing up the and sex positivity. Female agency. Yeah, I mean, this yeah, movie is yeah. so like, sex positive. Like, yeah, especially for women, just like she goes for it. She's like, I'm gonna strip down when, yeah, and I'm totally. gonna fill up I'm gonna fill up my bathroom with water and we're gonna yeah. fuck underwater. When when she for dis- you, fish. when she disrobes for fish, mm-hmm. I just really admire the way that she like she so what happens is is uh, she and Fish are in the tub and he grazes her cheek with his web, webbed hand, and she gets a little nervous and like yeah. leaves the room. And then she thinks for a second. She's like, no. And then she's she nervous, goes. But it's also she's excited. She's excited, but but she's overwhelmed and, and it's scary. And then she runs back and just drops her robe, gets in the shower, and then we pull the curtain. Mm-hmm. Which going back to our call me by your name talk, I don't need to see them fuck. Yeah. I love the artfulness and the cheekiness of the rush shower curtain. Yeah, coming I don't the need screen. to see a green fish penis, mm-hmm. but I I would like I, to see it, but I don't need to see it. Oh, I'm kind of curious about. The I am curious. I will say, going into the film, I thought we were going to get some fish dick. Yeah, the way people fine. like talked about it, I thought there was an actual sex scene. Yeah, I but, thought there was actual fish dick. But I again, mean, we get is, all this love. It yeah. isn't R rating for graphic nudity, but it's just Sally Hawkins full frontal. Yes. And the, I, I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be fish, fish penis. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, it's not I, Felix I, the cat, you know. <laughs> I like or whatever that movie the, is. The the following scene, um, where without Sally Hawkins saying a word, Octavia realizes oh my god they fucked Mm -hmm. and then they do the hand motions of reveals how he reveals his dick his member yeah which i think is a great example of what we started this conversation with um you know i was saying i think our audience was anticipating something sweet Mm -hmm. i didn't mean to say that the way that sex is handled in this movie isn't sweet right because that moment is so playful and Mm -hmm. and sex positive when they're Miming with their hands, yeah. the fish that comes out, and it's it's just uh, it's so charming. Yeah, and it's so fun the way that there's no judgment from Octavia Spencer. She's just no, like, she's like we all fuck. She's just like, all right, girl, we get it. Yeah, get that dick. Um, I just would like to. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. 
Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Praise Guillermo in the way that he has foregrounded female stories for a lot of his career, not in literally every movie, but with Pan's Labyrinth, with Crimson Peak, um, Crimson Crimson Peak in particular, the sex scenes are very um, erotic on Tom Hiddleston and not on Mia Wasikowska, mm-hmm. which I think is really special and exciting. And you just, you don't, no one else does that in mainstream Hollywood cinema. I think he me. also has a sensitivity towards the way that women become trapped in their environments by the men around them and by the social mores of the time. Like, in Crimson Peak, like, Mia Wasikowska's character is, is um, she's not, like, sold into that marriage, and she's sort of into it, but right. it's sort of accepted that once the right man comes along, she's going to be shoved aside to him. I mean, her father is brutally murdered <laughs> in order for it to happen, but then in Pan's Labyrinth, the, the evil general or whatever is keeping such a tight, um, uh, such a tight leash on the mother character and, um, and also the lead of the film. I just, it's not just the female gaze and it's not just sexuality. I think he's has a, a real intuition for the way that women, um, women have to find their own agency a lot of times in male dominated environments um, and, and sometimes literal imprisonment. So I appreciate that about it too. Not so much this movie uh, because it's like a much larger other that's being oppressed by society. It's like a lot of different flavors, but I like that about it too when it comes to, or I like that about him too when it comes to Del Toro telling women's stories. Mm-hmm. And so it's, in a way, it's a natural fit that he does something influenced by Douglas Sirk because that's what he was all about, like right. granting emotional legitimacy to women's pictures. I, I haven't seen the Cocteau Beauty and the Beast, but I know that that's one of his favorite movies. So I go this, figure. The, yeah. This, yeah, so I'm was sure largely inspired by. Comes from that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I said something snarky to you earlier today. Not snarky, even. What? But that I would like to put on the mic, which is that if this was a Brian Fuller TV show, it would be the most acclaimed thing of the year. And oh, the yeah. movie's pretty acclaimed. I mean, I feel like at least, I guess I'm just like in this like insular film Twitter bubble where there's a lot of naysayers on this film. So yeah, I, but I, hold on, I. I, I... I'm gonna jump off that. Um, yeah, there are some naysayers on this movie who just like won't take the ride that the movie wants you to go on. Yeah. Like, this is a movie that this is something that I call like a golden retriever movie. Like, this movie just wants you to love it yeah. and is there for you to pet it and talk about how cute it is and just let it, you know, let it lick you. It's like this delicious confection. Right. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I just want to talk about two things really quickly. We don't even have to discuss it if you guys don't want to talk about it, but. There are legit, legitimate issues that people can have with this movie to not buy into the romance that don't mean that you don't have a heart. Um, well, I didn't say that. I know you didn't. Okay. I know you didn't. But I'm, I mean, it's a trigger for me because I really was not on board with La La Land last year. I and liked you were it a lot. Chastised. I admired it a lot. But you get people saying like, "Oh, I feel terrible for people who didn't like La La Land because they can't feel joy." Oh, I, I can't believe that people are going to give. The Shape of Water a hard time and not just go along with it. Have we considered the fact that we are told 
that this monster is the most valuable asset the government has ever seen and it's going to be under close watch, high security. And on top of that, there's a motif throughout the movie about video cameras being all throughout this facility. And somehow Sally is able to play records, feed the creature hard boiled eggs, dance around with her mop, and no one saw it on a camera. <laughs> this is a barrier for me. I mean, this is some, this is, it's especially frustrating because video cameras and surveillance are a big part of this movie. And yeah. we are told that this creature is the most valuable asset the U.S. government has ever seen. Why isn't there a camera in the laboratory? And if there is, why isn't Sally being seen? We also know that Michael Shannon pays close attention to those video cameras. So if there was, he would see her. That's a problem for me. Two, I don't think the movie really does much to make you fall in love with the creature the same way she does. I don't really have a flavor for that character at the end of this thing. I still don't know the creature. These, this doesn't mean that I don't believe in love. Right. So I just get offended by this because there are... I, I, I'm not saying that you guys need to have them. And I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade. But these are problems for me. And I stick by... I stand by them. I mean... And it's just frustrating when... All I do is cry in movies. <laughs> like... <laughs> All I you're, do you're is emotionally the, attached. You're like, on the record in this podcast of crying a lot. So, yeah, no one's going to fault you there. Yeah, I just had to say that. Just, and, you know, and, and we can move on. Like, we can move on. I just needed to put that on the record. And... So, I, I haven't seen people attacking Shape of Water. And if I did, I'd be annoyed. <laughs> um, but I, I haven't seen it. Oh, I've seen it. Oh, well. And I'm not um, saying that there aren't problems. I'm, I just, I just don't care. And yeah, yeah. So it's, we, a, it's a Titanic. We, it's we the, are able the to emotional landscape of the film works for me so well. I don't care. Yeah, me too. So we're able to avoid. You're not able, and I, I can't because it's, it's not. No, and I and I, you know, there are movies that people love that I just things I can't look past. Yeah, this time or I so the La 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 Land. I can't look past that dinner scene. That whole dinner scene. I don't believe. A word I don't any know. of them are saying, the and I can't get the yeah. fight. I, 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 get... I think it's totally Yeah, so we agree there. Yeah. But, I, but I will say um, there's a different love story in this movie that I completely buy, and I think it's why I liked the movie more the second time, and that is the relationship between Sally Hawkins and Richard Jenkins. Ah, uh, yes. That is a believable friendship, um, and it is a story about two people who desperately need one another, mm -hmm. but more than that, they like each other, mm -hmm. and they grow better in each other's company. That is the true love for me. That is the love story of the shape of water, and I'm I'm all on board. I'm I'm weighing on that. I bumped up my letterbox review from three and a half to four today. I'm I realizing through this conversation that maybe I was just a little overzealous, but I might I might be a three and a half. But That's the fair. but the love story That's between her and Richard like Jenkins, it. I I just think it's gorgeous and beautifully observed. And there's just something so true about that relationship and, and the way that they lean on one another mm -hmm. that I yeah. find very moving. Yeah. I don't know. It's I, it, In my letterbox log, I said that at some point I was just, I was all in. It got me. It hooked me. I was hooked <laughs> like a fish. Nice. Just like Michael Stolberg. Yeah. He's also hooked like a fish. Right in the cheek. Yeah. The, I like, I really like those, um, the meet up ring car Headlight sequences. They're, they're very well shot. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, Style's great. I just, I just forgot how much I loved Guillermo, mm -hmm. and I haven't seen Crimson Peak because it wasn't the best reviewed thing in the world. It doesn't totally work to for me, it. but it looks really good. 
It looks really good. The third act really works for me. I, it, the third act. It's just like. It's great. This ride that you never want to get off. And it ends yeah. with Jessica Chastain, like, bloodied. Yes. Stalking Mia Vasikowska through fog. I love that. I really. While, while, while like, a mill is literally churning out blood. It's great. How have I not seen this movie? I admire, seen... like, mm-hmm. maximalism in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just what I enjoy. Like, every, everything is over the top in his movies. And. Like, in this and in Shape of Water, the performances are good enough that it is grounded enough for me that I am with it, just, like, fully. Mm-hmm. And it's an Oscar movie. I mean, it is full-bore Oscar movie. Mm-hmm. And that, I love that, that. That artist moment, that's when I was like, he knows what he's doing. It will get the most Oscar nominations it, this year. It, it, will, it, got the most, it got the most Golden Globe nominations, mm-hmm. didn't it, today? Yeah. Because it will get... Two, maybe three acting nominations. I think I think Jenkins gets I, in. Yeah, I think Jenkins. Octavia's my yes. Oh no, Octavia's I think she in. She gets in. I mean, Octavia's in. They're all she, three uh, are in. I think. Remember last year with Hidden Figures, you know. she was not a critic's favorite, uh, and Janelle Monae is arguably the scene stealer, right? Uh, out of those three women, and they still did. And they still did Octavia, yeah. which so she, I wouldn't have nominated her, but I think she's such a magnetic performer and brings such an energy to her scenes. I yes. can't, I can't disagree with this. I love I Octavia Spencer. I do too. And it's a craft movie too, yeah. so it's going to get score, it's going to get production design, it's going to get cinematography. It's going to win production design. Yeah, it's well, Dunkirk exists. Blade, Blade Runner is exists. A, yeah, I don't think they like put the sand on that beach though. You know, <laughs> they didn't build <laughs> fucking Dunkirk. The plane though. Dunkirk. <laughs> Dunkirk. I don't know. I I'm sure the there's some production to... design in there somewhere that could win. The only thing I'm excited about that and Darkest Hour being in the awards conversation this year is to get to hear British people pronounce Dunkirk. Dunkirk. <laughs> Dunkirk. Going um, to Dunkirk. We're, we're an hour into this recording. We haven't touched our theme. Anyway, what else is new? We don't need to like go into the theme, but... This, this movie wants to fuck classical Hollywood yeah. cinema. I do want to talk about New York, New York. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we have to. I mean, you have to. I was too tired from <laughs> set you, to watch. Can you preface what happened <laughs> but a mere... Hour and fifteen minutes ago, um, I just <laughs> so I rewatched this movie this weekend because I wanted to talk about it tonight. And before these two gentlemen came over, <laughs> I <laughs> pulled up the YouTube link of Liza Minnelli at the end singing the titular theme from New York, New York in the film New York, New York. <laughs> the title of the song is "Theme from New York, New York." Yeah, not New York, New York. And you have to say the full thing. Well, and I haven't seen it, but what I love about the title is like exactly like how someone is coked out of their mind would just say New York, mm-hmm. New York, New York, like <laughs> <laughs> unnecessary this... repetition. And one of my favorite yeah. things about this movie, I just spilled tea all over myself. Fun, I'm yeah. so excited about spill some tea, bitch. Literally spilling tea <laughs> is my favorite thing about this movie is just how fucking coked out it is. Every scene is forty minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all improvised, <laughs> and they have the exact same exchange six times. That's what I'm saying. New York, New York. It's so good, and it's so there's so much energy, and like this man, it's like this, it's this Vincent Minnelli like structure of a musical starring his daughter, starring his daughter, who 
the theme of the mo- <laughs> the theme of this episode is movies that want to fuck old Hollywood. And Martin Scorsese cast Liza Minnelli and fucked her during the production. <laughs> And he was literally fucking old Hollywood. He marries Isabella Rossellini a couple years later because he wants to fuck old Hollywood. Doctor of Ingrid <laughs> Bergman. Oh. <laughs> and hope for scream. <laughs> Liza. I don't know if it's choreographed, but she's <laughs> she's throwing her arms around to the beat. She's barely lip syncing along. This movie's falling apart at the seams. It's a masterpiece, though. To like, use just... your words about the beguile, is it held together with scotch tape? <laughs> it's held together with scotch tape. That's one of my favorite phrases about a movie, like where you can feel the production. I, I've totally just... lifted it. Ugh. Yes. Um, and I took a... St- a, a video of a certain moment when she does this like chug chug dance move. She's like, if she was like uh, on color guard, but instead of flag, she had arms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I sent it, and as I was recording it, I knocked over a full glass of wine. <laughs> it shattered. shattered the glass. And I'm sure a lot of glasses of wine got knocked over during the production of this movie. Uh, I'm sure. So I watched. Ooh. Winded. You feel like cooked up? I I watched this movie in preparation to talk about it, which I think that's the extent of which we'll talk about it. And (laughs) no, I have a little more to say. Boy, howdy, (laughs) did I love it! I love this movie. It is the the last thirty minutes is an entirely different movie. You enter a movie within a movie, and then you enter this New York, New York choreographed number. Five years later, scene. It's the same story. As the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, as right. La La Land, La Land mm-hmm. but with a candor up score, so it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and I just, there's so, it's Scorsese's first, it's his sixth feature film. It is the first movie of his that has any scenes shot in a studio. It's the, it draws so much, there's just so much of a knowledge base of the MGM musical. And there's so much reverence of Mimi and St. Louis. There's this scene in the fake woods. Oh, yeah. That it's that blows my mind. And Liza is dressed the same way that Judy Garland is dressed in the Christmas woods scene in Mimi and St. Louis. And mm-hmm. it's just like every scene has these little touches of reference that I think really... Guillermo is able to do in this with like the Douglas Sirk references mm-hmm. in a way that is just so spot on and is so like mechanically perfect. Yeah, just like the artificiality of it becomes ecstatic at a yes. certain yeah. time. There's the scene in New York, New York when uh, De Niro is getting like removed from the club and there's the it's the tunnel of like light bulbs. Yeah, and he's shattering he's the lights. He's shattering light bulbs as he's frantically kicking to not be dragged out of the club. Yeah. It's just everything, every single shot is just this like Kubrickian, like beautifully composed, perfect thing. While the performances are just manic, <laughs> erratic, manic. It's insane. <sighs> Um, God, I feel like when you, you should go home and watch it. I feel right like, yeah. you know what, when you go, go to... Go home and watch this three-hour movie. Oh, hold on, I have a metaphor that I think is apt. When you're in college and you don't do the reading because of a legitimate excuse, I was working all weekend, I was spaced out yesterday and this morning, like I'm only now becoming a human again, I just couldn't watch. I didn't have time for the movie. Yeah. I didn't leave the house until much later than I wanted to today. So... You don't do the reading, and then you go to class the next day, and you're like, I'll just fake my way through this or be silent. 
And then what the professor says about the text and what your peers are saying is so exciting that you end up like self-flagellating about nice. the fact that you just didn't do the reading in the first place. And very I'm, I feel excited to see. I'm it. excited. I am also it's, full of shame at the moment, but call you by your shame. Hey, it's my turn. <laughs> I think that uh, De Niro will give you the charm that you're lacking in the creature in this film. Great charm. Oh, you don't think he's charming? He's he's a abrasively charming. I think it's I, I think he's such. Charm. I think the creature it's, is a little charming. I just don't know him. I have no charm. sense of who that person is. Anyway. And I really like New York, New York because it doesn't ask you to like anyone. No, yeah. no. Yeah, they are just who they are. And, and they happen to fall in love. Mm -hmm. And it is what it is. The first I am scene, who I am. And I am And Liza. I think it, it falls prey to the thing that Scorsese is often falls prey to in that people think depiction equals endorsement. When, mm -hmm. like, yeah. He won't take no for an the answer. The Niro character is a piece of shit. And he emotionally abuses her. Mm -hmm. But, and... He is a set. I mean, she's first build. She's the star of the movie, but we're she's the army hammer of New York, New York. Yes, mm. um, and it, it is her movie. She's the protagonist. She has the, the big arc. Yes, really. she becomes um, famous. But she is more okay. The, no spoilers. But she is more oh, the <laughs> object, and he is more subject. But we are not asked. I think people think we are asked to forgive that he's a jackass in the same way that people think that we are to forgive Leo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street when I don't think that is the point. He is mm -hmm. uh, summoning up like the seven circles of hell writ large in The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And if you know the first three sentences of Martin Scorsese's bio, you know he was, uh, you know, an inch away from joining the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Like one rosary bead, like he was right there. Yeah. There's no fucking way that this guy shows the excess and the sinful nature of Wall Street as endorsements. Right, like, yeah. If you know one thing about this guy, yeah. it's that he finds this deplorable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... It's this push and pull annoying. of, like, he's attracted to it and disgusted by it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and, and that's yeah. exactly why sin is sin and yes, why everyone does it. as you are attracted to it. Exactly, yeah. What's great about this movie, for me personally, is it made me think about Wolf of Wall Street which I didn't like at the time when I saw it. I haven't revisited it since I saw it 10 p.m. Christmas night. Oh, like, oh what a nightmare. Yeah, I saw it in terrible condition. I saw it three Ugh. times. So I was, That's a three-hour movie. It made, was, that movie made me want to vomit, and I mean that as a compliment. I was exhausted. But this scene, New York, New York, has made me appreciate what Wolf the of Wall Street, the manic energy of Wolf of Wall Street. When like, Scorsese himself was coked out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it is the memory of New York, New York that he's channeling. Yeah. So Daniel, you're gonna go watch New York, New York. I'm gonna go rewatch Wolf of Wall Street with a new reconvene in a new lens. I will say as a sidebar that I just saw Molly's game. Molly's game is the most coked up story, and the way that you go to a party and someone has done coke and is just talking to you for 25 minutes <laughs> about the most boring, uninteresting thing you've ever heard in your life, but to them, it is life or death and encapsulates the entire story of America. That's really funny. That's what Molly's Game is. It is a boring story told by a coked-up guy at a party. When does this movie come out? Christmas Day. Oh, it's a Christmas Day release? Yeah. yeah anyway, I would... Is that what I'm no going reason to say? Yeah, I would rather... I'm pretty sure it's wide Christmas I'd rather Day. hang out with Scorsese in the 70s when he's out of his mind than Aaron Sorkin... When he was out of his mind, I, like, I can't also imagine noticed, anything more unstoppable. Um, he he has two assistants credited on this movie. I noticed, and uh, one is Stephen Prince, 
who he made a documentary about, and it is this documentary that Quentin Tarantino lifts and pretends that he didn't lift, lifts the um, the adrenaline shot overdose scene <gasps> from Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Is this is from the documentary that Scorsese made of his friend Stephen? Stephen is telling a story about himself. Oh, really. I have to say that when I saw The Shape of Water today at the <clears throat> Arclight, nice. the man I bought my coffee from at a concession stand was a straight named Gage. And his favorite Spell film, that. G-A-G-E. Gage. <sighs> G-A-G-E. Gage. And his favorite film, per his name tag, was Pulp Fiction. Which you just don't really see with straights who work at movie theaters. You know, like, nobody ever says Pulp Fiction. So nobody ever says Ransom for Our Dogs. It's it was so novel. random. Yeah, I know. You just don't see that. It's so nerdy. <gasps> a real film buff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Gage, Gage knows what's up. Oh, cool guy. Well, like we are winding down. Is there anything else we want to say? Because I, like, really, like, climaxed talking about New York, New York, and, like, I can't get it up again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so... You have a seven-minute refractory period, yeah. just like a stare in Rogers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to analyze again. Uh, the last thing I want to say about Shape of Water is that I loved it. I didn't... It, it grew on me as I was watching it. And I like when a movie does that. And I just really appreciate Guillermo as a filmmaker. Your hard, cynical exterior parted ways for a pointy rod of joy to come out akin to the fish stick, if you will. Thank you so much for that visual aid. I just wanted to remind everyone that <laughs> how the fish fucks. Nice. I think I, uh, I reveal myself to be, like, the most, so to be, like, lulled into sentimentality the most out of a, a lot of people that I know and I feel like it's often the case because I love Titanic and I love Shakespeare in Love. I love these 90s movies that are often thought to be like cheesy. soft mm-hmm. and cheesy and like I get it from my mom who loves Hallmark movies and I don't go that far but like there's this like middle brow like sappy movie that like really gets me every time. That's great. And I love it. I love it every time. I love La La Land. I love this movie. Great. I love that audiences seem to embracing a seem to be embracing a queer love story. Mm-hmm. I love that Guillermo del Toro is about to have the biggest success of his career. Mm-hmm. I love Sally Hawkins. I love that she just gave one of her very best performances and will probably get awards attention for it. I love Richard Jenkins. I love the way his uh, wrists move in this movie. I love everything this love movie loves. I love a limp wrist. Love a limp wrist. He studied it gay well. Yes. I wish that I loved it more. But I'm happy that it exists. And I love that people are responding to it. Because there should be more movies like this. And more filmmakers like Guillermo del Toro should be encouraged um, to find success with wider audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a movie that resonates with people. And I think that's lovely. Well, doing exactly what they want to be doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, it reaches right. the wider audience, but this is exactly the movie that he wants yeah, to make. He's not yes. making compromises with this. No, and that's not he, what I mean by mainstream. No, I know. Just that, that these visions from people... But Okay, so what I'm trying to say is, is we have this conversation about breaking up the voices that are fed to people, like getting away from the straight white male point of view and saying that what matters to them is what should matter in a quote-unquote normal way, when in fact normal doesn't really exist right and it's actually a much broader array of perspectives and Guillermo del Toro let Guillermo del Toro's 
freak flag fly and the people the fact that people are resonating with it just proves that while he is certainly a, a unique filmmaker who engages in a lot of different ideas those are more emotionally true than uh, anything you've seen in a blockbuster. Yeah. So I admire that about it. If that makes sense. I'm, I need to go to bed. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> I want to say one last thing about Pan's Labyrinth. If you haven't watched it in a long time, like I hadn't until last week, watch it like now. It holds the fuck up. Um, and I think the thing that really gives it the edge over The Shape of Water is the fact that it's shot on film. It is mm. gloriously, stunningly beautiful. And I think it really helps, like, ground the war reality in that film because there's this grit and grain to the image. It's on Amazon Prime. You can give it a look. It's a perfect movie. It was my number one film of 2006. Oh, I love that detail. And I stand by it. Oh, my God. Good detail. Beating out... My favorite filmmaker's Academy Award-winning film, The, the Departed, The Departed, oh, which I, came in at number two. I, I had to follow my heart. Pan's Labyrinth. People, um, I love people Departed. talk about The Departed winning Best Picture as a symptom of overdue Scorsese disease. Nope. Sort of a weird scattershot year. You got The Queen, Little Miss Sunshine, Babel, Letter, Shmiwa Jima, and then The Departed. Like, there's no real normal frontrunner there. Like, no uh, Oscar prestige right. player. It's like almost like a fluke year. It's fucking bullshit. The Departed is a master. It's a, yeah, it is I not lesser Scorsese. It's a fantastic movie. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. It it's, is. It is. It speaks to the brilliance of that movie that uh, the credits come eighteen minutes in. Yeah. Yes. And you don't realize. I love a movie that has its credits. Good time, what a, baby. What a, yeah, good time. And one of my favorite. Produced by Martin Scorsese. That's, hey, there you go. One of my favorite films of the year last year, Mountains Made Apart. The credits come uh, in. So I'm 45 oh minutes into the movie. How long is it? It is like. About two. About two, maybe two, two fifteen. It's a trip. Well, it's not a trip tick. I think that's a little disingenuous because it's the same story. No, it is. It is. It is. It, it, it's, it's three, three separate seconds. chapters. Yeah. It's, it's like Moonlight. So, yeah, it's a trip tick. Yeah. But yeah, the credits come after the first segment. And Zhao Tao gives the best lead actress performance of last year yeah. for me. All right, we're going on or tangents. What are we talking about next week? Uh, we're talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Um, this is the new Laura Dern movie. We're going to... familiar. Yeah. For those of our listeners who probably don't know what Star Wars is, it's the new Laura Dern movie. We're going to release it on Tuesday next week because it's Christmas. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited. Oh, you know what we're going to say? I thought we were done. Are you going to press stop? Oh, I guess we have to say goodbye. We have to say goodbye. We have to say goodbye, <laughs> Ben. Oh. Do you not love your listeners like Eliza loves her fish stick? <laughs> fish stick? I, I wish I had said that. Good for you. <laughs> ben, ben is minding a chomp. He has two fistfuls of fish stick. And he's chomping on each, folks. Listen, listeners, uh, will you please sketch us fish sticks and submit <laughs> We don't know where to just DM Twitter. Us, DM be us the Richard Jenkins you want to see in the world and sketch us well, some fish sticks. DM us some fish, fish sticks. Dick. I imagine it'd be very, very, it looks pointy. I'm but not it's, talking about But it's about actually this. soft. You know I'm what not, I mean? I'm not going to engage in this. My name is Ben MB. This has been Movies IMO. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. You can find Movies IMO on Twitter at Movies IMO. Um, I'm Daniel Crook. I'm back on Twitter at 
<laughs> yeah, baby. I know the world has been waiting with bated breath. <laughs> At Daniel Crook, three O's. Um, gonna go watch Pan's Labyrinth. Nice. No, you have to watch New York, New York. Oh, I'm gonna go watch New York, New York. I don't Pan's know what Labyrinth I'm saying. Is shorter. So it might be better since you're delusional at this point of your exhaustion. I'm not watching it tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay, so I'm just going to brag like I did to both of you. We, I, I was able to rush through 16 setups in like three hours last night. I'm Earlier it was 18 when you told me the story. Earlier. No, I heard 16 when he told me the story. Oh. It was 16. I don't think so. <laughs> well, I was there. You were exaggerating in the story then, is what I'm saying. Okay, Ben. I knew, it was, one, I knew it was after 15 and I knew it was an even number. By two. All right. Call me by my goddamn shame, Ben. Mm. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm Brandon Kirby, and I have a lot of thoughts about what fish dicks might look like. You can find me on Twitter at BKKirby. Oh, okay. DM me your fish dick drawings, because these bitches don't want them. <laughs> I do have one more thought on the shape of water. <laughs> I don't like my at all <laughs> when the creature kills Richard Jenkins' cat. Oh. I don't, then it's not oh. nice. It's not nice. Not nice. I don't. But then he's petting them later. The Way not, too soon. The not he decapitated ones. And Jenkins doesn't care. He's like, he's a wild animal. He doesn't know what he's doing. This is like, um, I felt, uh, I've already said this to somebody else, but it's like, I felt like an adult who only likes nice things, who doesn't like the messiness of life or politics. And it's like, anytime they're confronted with something not nice, like, oh, I don't like that. And that is how I felt at that moment. I, 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 I said, I don't like this. Yeah, <laughs> I was a little disturbed, I will admit, Daniel. It's more than being disturbed. It's like, I don't know. I was so pissed. My audience laughed <gasps> when I saw it for oh, the first time. Oh, you don't laugh at the cat getting his head eaten. Most people don't like cats. That um, was pretty funny. Ben. Okay. Um, imagine your cat getting eaten. I don't know. Imagine Ben having a cat. I would never have a cat. All right, to be well, perfectly honest. All right, goodbye. <laughs> I need to get out of here. <laughs> we still have to talk about the Golden Globes. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. <laughs>